This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life. Because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Hey everyone, I'm here with Chris Chattery. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm in Grand Rapids at the moment. You're down in uh, North Carolina at this time. Uh-huh. We are we're keeping socially distant. <laughs> <laughs> right, very much so. We first met, I want to say 2008. Yeah, it was sometime in 2008. Yeah. Met in Detroit. You and your family moved up to Detroit from Toledo at the time. And your, you and your wife, your two kids, and then your uh, mom and sister as well came up. Uh, and your sister has actually been on the show, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Since then, we we got to get to know each other better, but not just through music, but also through soccer and our love of you two as well. Since then, you, Steve, Gagne, and I, we've been always texting each other throughout the years since. Yeah, I don't think a day goes by that we don't text about some kind of football and nonsense. Yeah. Or something like that. Right. And uh, Liverpool is the best team, right? They they were statistically <laughs> the best team last season uh, in the in one of the leagues. And uh, we'll see how things go this year. <laughs> Not looking so good for your back line right now. Oh, stop it. Anyway, <laughs> for you... You were born in uh, the Detroit area, and you grew up in Southwest Detroit. What was uh, what was that like? It was uh, it was pretty good. I always think fondly of growing up in the city, and I grew up uh, most of my childhood on kind of like the southwest side of Detroit, which was a part of that area is called Mexican Town. So, um, being of yeah, Mexican heritage on my mom's side of the family. I really enjoyed that. I never learned Spanish, you know, because my parents both spoke different languages as their first language. So we always had English in the house, but it was my little taste of what it was like to be a Mexican-American in the Detroit area. And I remember fondly those block parties that we would have on my grandmother's street where everybody would just come out with a, a dish and set up tables and we'd just hang out and hear Tejano music until late in the night and eat amazing food. Yeah. I just remember how community driven uh, it was to live in the city at that time. And I have great memories of that. And so I always consider that my home of Detroit. Even while living away from there? Yeah. Yeah. I still very much don't necessarily feel like I am a, uh, a native here. You know, I'm in, the American South. I feel a little bit like a fish out of water here, but uh, I'm okay with it enough. Like it, North Carolina is a nice happy medium in some ways, but I do miss, I do miss a lot of the food. That's, that's really where it gets me. Um, I, I can't get anything like a shawarma yeah. down here. There's nothing at all. I mean, I have to make it myself and I'm only, I can only make it so well. <laughs> There's so many foods I miss from Detroit. You grew up in right around the 80s with a lot of influence on the radio. So 
Fleetwood yeah. Mac, Phil Collins, Jefferson Starship, and, mm-hmm. and to name many more. And right. I'm just curious, how did that all come about? Was that from parents or just because that was on the radio? Yeah, it was it was all my mom because I was, you know, I was go going to school out in one of the western suburbs of Detroit, out in Dearborn. And so I was driving or riding in the backseat of the car with my mom probably about 45 minutes every day for school. And so just I'm just sitting in the backseat. My mom's got 93.1 Light FM on and I'm hearing the the hits of yesterday, today, and now on, on 93.1. And it's it just like you said, Fleetwood Mac, Jefferson Starship, a lot of power ballads. Phil mm-hmm. Collins, which I just, I always loved Phil Collins right away. George Michael, Faith was one of my favorite songs. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. That one still just grabs me and, and makes me want to dance. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I don't ever really want to dance, but makes me want to dance that song. So, <laughs> and then, you know, of course, because, you know, I grew up around the years of Growing Pains on TV mm-hmm. and I, live vicariously through the Seaver family on their Hawaii trip and enjoyed the musical stylings of Christopher Cross sailing by Christopher Cross to be specific. That's a a great song. So there's just a lot of songs. Like I wouldn't say that they're even styles of music that I like, but they're just songs that I can't help but enjoy when I hear them. They're all the songs that were on the radio at that time. And, you know, it wasn't until I, I got my first, couple albums which were uh the lion king soundtrack of course and (laughs) michael jackson's bad that i really had my own musical tastes Mm -hmm. i'm curious with your you mentioned your mom and how did she was there any music growing up for her that was impactful that connected with you in any way yeah, and that's interesting because I would say the only music that her family listened to that I would hear from time to time was what was on the Spanish channel. You know, there would be some some singers like Julio Iglesias or Lucero that would be on mm-hmm. the Spanish channel, and we'd, we'd all see them on Saturday night, you know, watching Sabado Gigante on, on the TV at Grandma's house, at Abuelita's house. But really, my mom, most of her family listened to Tejano music or traditional Mexican music a lot of the time, or it was Mexican pop music. It was music that was in Spanish. But my mom was really kind of a creature of the area where she grew up in. And so she really liked a lot of the classics, a lot of the American classic music. And pop music was her favorite, Mm. uh, definitely. She grew up, even though she had that family background, she was listening to what a typical American kid might have been listening to growing up in Detroit. You know, she wasn't listening to Journey, though. She was <laughs> She was never into Journey. What was she listening to? Oh, she, she loved a lot of things, but definitely, like, she still, this is still the stuff she listens to, but she, she really enjoys singer-songwriters like Carol King, Carly mm-hmm. Simon, the mamas and the papas. And of course I like them all because I heard them growing up so much. Right. Uh, she loves the carpenters. They were a little too sappy for me, but 
I can see the merit of the carpenters. And she pulls out some deep cuts all the time. Like we'll just be driving somewhere, riding somewhere. And she will just start singing a song I have never heard ever. And then I'll say, who was, who is that? And she'll be like, oh, it's this band. And it's some yacht rock band or some like some pop singer. Like it's like Gladys Knight and the Pips or it's Dionne Warwick or it's something I've just never heard before. But she's she's got it locked in and she's got all these lyrics in there. So I hear I still discover music through her. Yeah. So I'm guessing she was even listening to some Motown then. Oh, yeah. She always liked Motown. I mean, if you lived in Detroit, you kind of just always heard Motown. Right. It was just a a proud city of the music that came out of it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely Motown. Smokey Robinson, I remember specifically being a favorite that's always on the radio there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until, you know, I got my first album and, you know, started watching MTV with my cousins that uh, I started getting exposed to music that my mom didn't listen to. We'll talk about that. Like how did mm-hmm. you and the influence of your cousin and Michael Jackson even kind of. Yeah. Place? Michael Jackson was like, I, I don't think you could just be at that age and coherent of music and not enjoy Michael Jackson. It was yeah. just, especially that bad album just had so many hits on it and it was just so cool. I just loved how cool it was and how cool I felt when I listened to smooth criminal or uh, other songs on that album. And, you know, bad was just such a great music video. And then, you know, hanging out with my cousin and watching MTV, I got exposed to more of the the rock music that was popular at the time. And, you know, metal, you may call it, or hair bands. And, you know, some of the mainstream rock bands of the day, like Van Halen or Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. To a lesser extent, Bon Jovi. But yeah. Funny story, um, I got a tattoo when I was in Indonesia when I was, I think I was 22 or 23 years old, 22, I was 22 years old. We were in Indonesia because we went for a wedding and we decided to stay for a couple weeks and my friend was like, hey, let's get tattoos. It's like super cheap here and they're really good at it. And so we got tattoos. I got like a little simple thing, Bible verse on my right arm and my buddy, he got like this huge tribal tattoo, like on his chest, to his shoulder, to his upper arm, on front and back. And it was like a seven hour job. And at the tattoo parlor, they had music videos from Bon Jovi playing because the guy that was the tattoo artist was a huge Bon Jovi fan. That same music video collection, like this like compilation of music videos played for seven straight hours (laughs) every time i came back oh we're halfway there like no we're not halfway there we have (laughs) four more hours of this tattoo (laughs) um so yeah bon jovi lives on but yeah and and then also some pop music i i discovered on mtv in those days like tlc mariah carey always be my baby is still just such a such a great song, such a perfect pop love song that just makes me want to 
like I feel like it's summer every time that song comes on. Mm. And, uh, you know, I also discovered Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, because they were kind of a crossover or a, they were a bridge sort of. Yeah. From that hair metal kind of rock to a more alternative sound. And I mm. really liked their sound in the early days. Songs like Under the Bridge and Give It Away were just in just great songs. And I still can't, I can't hear them and not, not sing along, not play along the bass with Flea. Yeah. Yeah. It's just great music. And so then I started watching MTV on my, on my own. You know, I came around the age, junior high age and started watching on my own. And we ended up moving away from Detroit around this time. And I had grown up where I was in school. Most of the kids my age were listening to hip hop. They were listening to R&B. And then we moved away to a suburb of Ohio, out in Sylvania, Ohio. And it was a completely different culture. It was a very different music culture. There was a lot of appreciation for classic rock. There was a lot of appreciation for the Beatles. There was tons of appreciation for Pink Floyd. And I had never, I had like barely, barely even heard of Pink Floyd up to that point. Hmm. And there was also more of a alternative feel, you know, punk music was popular alternative music. So I was really hearing a lot of those stop, those kind of styles for the first time. And it was in those years that I discovered kind of a sound that I still just really enjoy, which is a moody kind of riff driven alternative rock sound, something like 1979 by smashing pumpkins, which is one of my absolute favorite songs. And that double CD album was like the first album where I just had to go get it the next day when I heard Mm -hmm. it. So yeah, melancholy and uh, the infinite sadness. Yeah. We talked about, I think we texted over the, the new album coming out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I would, I never expected them to get back together. I, I I just, it it was so long ago that they kind of quit really, making music together. And then I think there were a few like one-off things here and there and Billy Corgan kind of had a solo career and yeah, this comeback I'm pretty excited about. Maybe uh, some fans would disagree with us, but the the band is Billy basically. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, I would also say the band is also James Eha. I think the band has to be definitely Billy. Like you can't have the smashing pumpkins without Billy Corgan, but I think James E. Hawk gives it some validity that it wouldn't have without mm. without him because he's he's a great guitarist. He's a he brings a, a certain artistry to it. Yeah, but I think that's I mean you you talked about it you know the riff driven uh, element that he brings to it, and I think add that to Billy's vocals that are very unique. They work really well with each other. Yeah. Yeah, and it it was like the first time where I was really enjoying something where if you were to look look up a healthy sounding vocal range, a voice from somebody that uh, is a good singer, like if you looked up good singing in the in the dictionary of vocalization, you wouldn't find <laughs> Billy Corgan's name there. Right. His his voice is you know, it's it's a little grating his voice, yeah. but the emotion in his singing is is where the power is. 
that emotion. And and that was my first time really just, this isn't technically good even. You know, it's technically on point to be what it needs to be, but it's not what you typically think of as good, well-produced, perfect, shiny music. And, yeah. and so it really kind of opened my eyes to music being an expression of emotion and not having to be polished or not having to be so consonant all the time, but to really have a dash of dissonance, a dash of anger, to be irreverent, which is all the things you're looking for when you're, you know, 13 years old. Right. Yeah. Sometimes like, uh, I'm curious how kids these days, do they have that same kind of emotional spark with a song that's overproduced, like that we hear so often? Mm hmm in terms of current new music. And I, I wonder if that's why, like, in a lot of ways, the SoundCloud type of artists, like on hip-hop, do so well mm-hmm. because it's not overtly produced. Yeah, because I think we still really want to find music. And yeah. I would say that with our access, to, like, I mean everybody pretty much has access to every song that has ever been written and released through a record label. Mm -hmm. They have access to every song on their phone at any time. And Mm -hmm. so we're, we're not really struggling to find music, but we still want to find music. And so to be able to discover something on SoundCloud or a medium like that, it's we're, we're running out of ways to do that. And, uh, I think this is also why things like mashups are so popular or mashups are can be so good or why playlists have kind of become a genre in and of themselves. Like, yeah. uh, you know, there's certain musical artists that, you know, they're, they're as known for their playlists that they put together as they are for their own music because playlists can become a mode of expression where you're taking something that has been produced and putting it together in a way that makes sense for you. Yeah, I, I, I do wonder, you know, I think there's also a lot of music being discovered on YouTube even, um, but I do wonder, like, what is it like? I, one of my favorite YouTube channels is this channel with uh, these two young guys that are, they're brothers, they're twins, and they are discovering music that people suggest to them. And when somebody suggests a song to them, they'll listen to it and they'll record their reactions listening to the music. And it's, it's often stuff that they've not been exposed to at all because it's just not their time period. It's not their, not really in their cultural background to listen to this kind of music, but they give it a shot and they take it at face value. And it's really refreshing to see that because I can remember when I was ages of 13 to 16, you know, those years when I was listening to so much music, my musical identity was as much about what I made fun of and what I didn't yeah. like as what I did like. Right. Probably even more so what I made fun of. And yeah. that's that's not necessarily what I see. I see I see a real appreciation, which I think is a great thing in these kids today. Right. That reminds me today at school, actually, the teacher put on uh, it's funny because we were just we, we kind of mentioned them earlier. The teacher put on Dreams, Fleetwood Mac. Oh yeah. And I think a big reason why she did that was because it's a it's a part of a TikTok craze. 
that's been happening. Oh, is it? Yeah. Like even the members of Fleetwood Mac have been joining in on it. Yeah. And so the reason I bring that up was because, so she's, you know, she started the song and the kids were dancing. They're like singing, they're clapping. And I'm just like, (laughs) what is going on here? (laughs) Right. Like these are sixth graders and they know this song and all because of TikTok. Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about more, you know, in the middle school years, more of the alternative. We talked about Red Hot Chili Peppers and and Smashing Pumpkins, but you kind of went into this uh, more of like new metal and hard rock during this time. You know, just like I vicariously gleaned music, musical tastes through my mom and then, you know, through my cousin and through MTV, it was through the, the other 13 year olds around me in junior high. And uh, a lot of my friends were listening to bands like Korn, who I really got into, and 311, and and other alternative bands like Alice in Chains. I had a friend that was extremely into Pantera, but I just, uh, it just never worked for me because there wasn't a singability to it. And, and, and there's a singability that I need. And I think that's what Korn had down. Like they had that new metal sound. They had the the tuned down bass guitar that was beating with the, uh, with the bass drum, with the double bass drum, because it always had to be a double bass drum. And uh, they also had kind of a melodic sound with, with the singing and that crazy, very kinetic rapping style, Jonathan Davis. So I, I really enjoyed that then. I can't say that all of this music is music that I would really listen to now or enjoy now or even appreciate now, but I, I know what I was looking for then. And it was, it was just perfect. It was irreverent, but it was also edgy and made me feel kind of powerful when I heard it. Yeah. Uh, and there were other bands that I just really loved the sound and I still love them like uh, live. Can't, I just love that band so much. Lightning crashes is still one of my favorite songs. Hmm. But yeah, like I said, it was as much about the bands that I really started loving and the different sounds and i've always liked to mix so if i like something i i will go and find other bands that are similar to it of course it's so easy now you know you've got algorithms suggesting bands to to us left and right now but back then it was it was a fun thing to dig and and say hey i like this sound who else sounds you know something like this or is is riffing on this idea right but, you know, there were some bands I made fun of, too. So, you know, I was me and my friend, my best friend, we were really not into Metallica. Uh, we were not into Green Day. I was extremely not into Green Day. Primus. Primus always just seemed like. To me, like the band that just wanted to be edgy all the time, and it, it got tired, in my opinion, um, it got annoying. But, uh, you know. I can't fault people for liking that music now, but back then I was just a little jerk. So <laughs> I'm curious, like you had a lot of hard rock influence before. Why did Metallica not resonate with you? I think it was the hard rock influence that I had before um, mm. because having grown up listening to the bands that my cousin listened to, you know, listening to Van Halen, listening to extremely anthemic powerful rock 
hearing Metallica, I felt like they were just kind of borrowing mm. a lot of the time, borrowing those themes or borrowing that that edge from rock music. And it just it just felt like elevator rock music, if I'm if I'm honest. And it still yeah. does to me. Like Metallica feels like the rock music that you listen to when you want to fall asleep. <laughs> and and not not just enter Sandman either, by the way. But uh, I was just not. And my friend was a drummer, and so we were we were big into that kind of motoring, always on sixteenth, thirty second note bass drum sound, where it was just so powerful, so much cymbal work from a drummer. And Lars Ulrich is the absolute opposite of that. Right, he is yeah. so metronomic in the way that he plays and, and straightforward yep. and four on the floor rock drummer. And I'm sure he's a very skilled drummer, but I mean, in those songs, you wouldn't know it because they're just so stinking boring. <laughs> so here I go again. High school comes around and uh-huh. during this time, R&B and hip hop is really resonating with you at this time. Yeah. These are the, the pop your collar days. Uh, yes. Back in high school for me. You know, moving into high school. Yeah, I was definitely the scrub hanging out of the passenger side of my best friend's ride during these years. So I was into the hip hop and the R&B that my friends were listening to at the time. I don't know if I even bought that many albums. One of the only R&B albums or hip hop albums I bought was uh, Wu-Tang Clan's Triumph Mm -hmm. album. Or I think Triumph is one of the songs. I, I can't remember the name of that album, but Triumph was one of my favorite songs on that one. And uh, I was definitely into some R and B. I was I was getting pretty. I was I was that guy that always had a crush on a girl and was was trying to mac on somebody. And so I was a little bit Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec during those years. So <laughs> <laughs> I was always looking to see if there was an angle. Like, you want to be with me? Does this girl want to be with me? <laughs> And uh, Drew Hill was perfect for that kind of persona that I had. So I really love Drew Hill. The, you know, Beauty is Her Name, all these amazing, incredibly sappy songs, kind of like Casey and JoJo, but with a little bit more, a little bit less like weepiness because Casey and JoJo was just so emotional. But, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, of course, I'm also into Cisco during these years because he's part of Drew Hill. But yeah, and then a lot of a lot of hip hop through my friends. Uh, there was a summer that we were just all into Master P all summer. <laughs> Make them say, uh, yeah, na 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 na. Like, and uh, and then also during these years, I got into some classic rock. I just kind of decided I'm gonna listen to it and see what I think. And so I started listening to Led Zeppelin and. These were the years when there was always some some kid in school that had a CD burner before everybody else had a CD burner. And so they were burning copies of CDs for everybody and then selling them for five bucks at right. school. And so I bought like the whole Led Zeppelin catalog for for nothing and the whole Pink Floyd catalog and just, you know, that somebody burned copies of their, their dad's collection and... Uh, got into those bands. I really enjoyed them. Um, I wouldn't say I necessarily listen to those bands now, but I, I'm glad that I went through that period 
where I was listening to almost nothing but classic rock for a while. I was just really into it. Wow. That was probably like, I think my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. Sophomore year. So uh, late high school comes around and you had kind of a, a unique experience that took place in that you started going to church and yeah. So that kind of changed a lot in terms of your habits of what you listened to when it came to music. Talk about what that was like. Yeah. I, uh, I had a dramatic evangelical conversion experience, uh, at the age of 16. And it's definitely something that still has had a strong effect on me. Um, it changed a lot of the direction of my life at that point. And I was, you know, I just started going to this evangelical church that I'd never, I'd never attended a church like that before. I grew up Catholic, but not very involved religiously. And then going to this church, I, I was chasing a girl that that went there that I worked with <laughs> and I just heard about God and it made sense to me that day. And, uh, I kind of threw myself deep into this Christian subculture and I, I can look back at it now and I, I don't necessarily look at all of it as good. I think some of it was a bit misguided or over the top or even close minded in ways, but it, it was also just something that changed the direction of my life. And since then I've been able to kind of figure out where to go. But one of the things that happened was I got really religious and pretty legalistic about music. Mm. And so I, I started dropping all this music, these musical styles and things that I listened to. And I quit listening to music that was, uh, as we called it, secular music that wasn't worship music or wasn't music that was from Christians Mm -hmm. for Christians. And so uh, I don't necessarily look back at these years and 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 enjoy the music that I listen to now. Some some bands do stick with me, but I actually call these like the quiet years musically in a way because I put down a lot of music. I put down my tastes and I put down what I was into myself and I started picking up things that people told me, the music that people told me was okay to listen to. And yeah. being a person that, still wanted to find artistry, I I did go and dig. And at that time, you know, it wasn't a terrible time for contemporary Christian music. There were some good artists out there. Like you you mentioned, alluded to Jars of Clay. Jars of Clay is still a band I will listen to. It's still a band I really appreciate. And I think they've been on a journey themselves. Yeah, totally. And, And so I still really appreciate their music but they're one of the few. I mean, there's a lot of bands that I, I feel like I was eating my vegetables, um, listening to that music and missing out on a lot of music that I wish I, I listened to. And, you know, a part, a big part of my twenties, my late twenties at least was about discovering music that I missed during these years from, you know, late high school into college and through most of college. So, yeah, I think of those as my, my quiet years, but the music I was listening to was, you know, the contemporary Christian stuff, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith. But then there's like the Christian alternative music like uh, Audio Adrenaline, Newsboys, all the typical stuff, DC yeah. Talk. 
<laughs> um, all these bands that were on the circuit in those years. Right. You know, I listened to a lot of worship music as well. And it was just all I did. That was that was all I did. And I look back at it and I'm okay with it now. I've come to terms with it. But uh, I think if I hadn't spent the time over the last 10 years really discovering bands that I missed during those years, then I might be a little bitter. So we, you know, we talked about Jars of Clay and what was it about Jars of Clay that stood out to you? Why you liked them so much? I think you could break it down with something that Dan Hasseltine, the lead singer of Jars of Clay actually said, because they've been criticized plenty of times throughout their history right, for not being straightforward Christian music. Straightforward, you know, Jesus mentioned in every song, uh, hands up raised, yeah, obvious lyrics. Their songs d- typically don't have l- obvious lyrics. Their songs are artistic. Their songs are often picked up by secular circles. A lot of their songs have been featured on TV shows and on soundtracks and things like that. And they get criticism from the evangelical Christian community for not being more obvious, basically. And Dan Hasseltine, the lead singer, he said, a lot of Christian music is all about the the great days. And, and there are great days in our life. We have great days where everything is rosy, everything's perfect. We Our faith is connected to reality, and we, uh, we are confident in what we believe. But then there's the other... 29 days of the month, 30 mm. days of the month. That's what our music's for. <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I respect that. And I completely hear that in the music. And so, you know, really, I, I still, I will still pull up the whole catalog and go through jars of clay and, and listen to them because their music still resonates. Yeah. What's yeah. crazy too, is you kind of gave a brief snap of this. But like, "Flood" was a huge song on the radio. Yeah, it was like back in I want to say ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, and then "Crazy Times" did well as on the radio right. and in, in terms of like alternative radio stations. It's crazy looking back how popular they were for also having very obvious Christian songs on their self-titled and but then also hold like they're doing so well on the radio with flood right and i think that's that's kind of a model that you see more now like there will be artists like i mean chance the rapper has done this um where a lot of his album may not be faith or religious based at all it's all, you know, stories, it's all narrative, it's experiential music. And then he'll throw in How Great Is Our God with a choir. That's how we have to understand people's faith is that we're we we're all putting out an album and that's our life and that album is not all going to be hands up raised looking up to the sky. Jesus, you're my number 1. It's going to be real reality. And so I think that's why we're we're seeing that maybe from artists that are in the secular world or in the not Christian music world, 
that have faith or have a religious background and appreciation, they're not afraid to to sprinkle that in or to bring that in because that's who they are. I think that's good. And I wish more bands that were in that contemporary Christian realm during those years and even now that they could branch out and sing some more songs that are real uh, sometimes because I feel like a lot of them are almost like like I've gone back in time when I hear their music. Even the, mu- the music that comes out nowadays, I feel like I'm going back to the year 2003 or the year yeah. 1997 and I'm hearing the same song that I would have heard back then because the message hasn't changed. And uh, I'm just, I, I definitely appreciate a message changing. I think that reality, reality is, is something that we're constantly interpreting and each one of us is interpreting it. Each one of us has a hermeneutic. And so our music should reflect that. So I don't really jive with things that don't change. If, if something is stuck in set in its ways, I probably won't enjoy it. I feel like this is a really good segue into your college years. Yeah. Because you two comes into the fold. You have this kind of reawakening. Yeah. With secular music, I guess you could say. But right. but it's like and this was the same for me with you two. They were like a bridge from Christian I guess you could say to be able to expand your taste. Right. I think part of it was that U2 was for some reason, one of the bands that our youth pastors and our pastors at churches were okay with when they made, they they weren't as legalistic about U2, but also part of it was that so many of U2's lyrics, like I was saying, you know, their songs were not always about religion or not always about God. There were a lot of love songs, a lot of, social songs and Mm. and movement songs and anthems Sunday bloody Sunday is kind of like the quintessential U2 song in that it's a religious song. (laughs) It's also an anthem. Yeah. It's also a social song and it's also just a amazingly hard hitting rock song that, that shows that they could just really play. And it's like all the things I love about them. Yeah. And so you too was kind of my like like you said a bridge out of a rigid understanding of what music can be and artistry can be to understanding a, a more nuanced faith and understanding a nor- more nuanced music and they really opened the doors so like I was I remember it was actually a, a pastor that I heard it was a uh, a pastor that was a college professor also he was speaking at a conference that I was at because I did college ministry. So I was at this conference with a lot of college students and he played the song, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own from the How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb U2 album. Mm-hmm. And he just played the whole song <laughs> from start to finish as part of his sermon. And then he said, I think this is what we need a little bit more of. We need a little bit more of this raw truth in our lives and this raw emotion and I forget what else he said, but I was just, I was moved because I'm like, yeah, like that's like nothing I've heard in a long time Hmm. to actually be moved by a song and for it to be cathartic to listen to music, but in a way where I don't feel like I'm doing my, doing a penance or doing some kind of 
religious time card punching or yeah, exercise to make God pleased with me or something like that. And, but for it to just be what it is. And so really that, that began my awakening. And, you know, I was also kind of a spooky Pentecostal Christian at this time too. So I was kind of one, one foot in one, one end and one foot in the other. So I was really into Jason Upton as well. Jason Upton being a singer songwriter who, you know, his songs are very, very well written, very, his vocals are very good. And his songs can go on for like 10, 20 minutes of, uh, you know, making up extra verses and <laughs> musical interludes. And I was really into that music as well. And I got to see him a couple times live. Then U2 was on the other side. And, you know, then I'm also getting into Sufjan Stevens and Sufjan Stevens being another one like U2, like a very artistic, a very unapologetic about what he is and who he is. Also interweaving elements of his faith into his music. Right. And beyond just the Christmas albums, like you listen to Chicago and there's there's <laughs> faith elements in that song. There's faith Absolutely. elements in the Illinois album. And I feel like I'm I'm praying in a way when I'm listening to these songs and he's, he's using this road trip to Chicago as an, an allegory almost. And I know exactly what he means, but I can't quite put my finger on it. And I, I really enjoy that. So so it really started opening my, my eyes. There's still a lot of music I missed during those years, though. Like I'm pretty pissed off still to this day that I didn't get to listen to Death Cab for Cutie when they were really, you know, starting out in those yeah. years, those years when I was in college. Um, I got to listen to those later on and discover them later on uh, with with my friend Tom, who's also been on this show. He he really helped me to discover and enjoy a lot of the music that I missed during these dark years and that I just didn't have the time to listen to in college as I was trying to catch up. How did Tom help you discover and enjoy the uh, the music? Yeah, Tom and I walked or walked. We we worked together. We were always we were together just a lot, but we also carpooled to work. So carpooling to work, driving about 30, 40 minutes to work, early morning traffic got to listen to a lot of music that he enjoyed. And and so again, I was kind of vicariously gleaning different musical styles again. And, uh, you know, he has, like he uncovered on his episode, he has some eclectic sounds that oh, he's yeah. into. A lot of it is stuff that I, I'm glad to see exists, but I just don't really have any interest in myself. Like, Tom, I'm the friend, I think Tom mentioned on, on the podcast, that he mentioned a friend to, asking him to turn off the radio when he was listening to Glenn Branca. <laughs> Glenn Branca, the avant-garde. Yeah. Extremely like 99% dissonance guitar player who defies the laws of Pythagoras and rhythm altogether. It's music that I am glad to know exists. I want it to exist. I, I think it's good for the world, but I just I just don't have any interest in listening to it myself. Yeah. But not for you. Yeah, not for me. You know, there were other bands like Arcade Fire, The National, bands like that that I discovered through Tom that I just I just really enjoyed. The National is one of my favorite bands. Uh, also just, you know, I kind of reawakened this. You know, I took guitar lessons through my high school years, and this was kind of one of my side interests where I just had this interest in jazz fusion throughout mm-hmm. the, the high school years because I took guitar. I was learning bass guitar specifically, and taking lessons from a guy that was incredible, an incredible musician and was really into jazz fusion and bands like return to forever and the Flectones, Bela Fleck and the Flectones, weather yeah. report, 
these incredible bands with incredibly virtuosic music that was progressive and pushing pushing boundaries and and bending genres, mostly instrumental kind of music. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to a lot of that on the side through high school because it was kind of peaking my musical side and pushing my pushing my ideas on that end. And so, you know, Tom actually was into a lot of that music too. And so he he knew of a lot of those bands as well. So it kind of rekindled that as well during those years. Um, also, we have a lot of affinity for music that just makes you gaze at your shoes, you know, as, as I like to call shoe gazing music, shoe gaze music, <laughs> <laughs> which I know is not the definition, not the true definition of shoe gaze. But uh, but that's what I think of as shoegaze. It's the music where you you're just a little emotional. The music's just a little washed out. There's some there's there's a beat to it, but it's a it's a subversive beat. Usually some electronic. Yeah. Yep. Usually some well. electronic. Yep. What, uh, any artists that come to mind? Uh, I think of like M eighty three. Yeah. Think of washed oh, out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's that's just a sound I really enjoy. And then, you know, I kind of came back to a lot of the instrumental sounds that I like and also found some more that are uh, genre bending. This was the post-rock times, too. So there were bands like Explosions in the Sky and Mogwai that were really big in this time. Uh, Tom was super into Godspeed You Black Emperor, but I was just a little too late to that party. So I didn't quite get to hear them very much, but... I've since been really into, and, and you know, this is really where I start coming into now the bands that I'm into now and that I, I listen to. And now I feel like I'm at an age where I, I, I don't need to make fun of anybody's music. And I also don't care if anybody wants to make fun of the music I listen to. And yeah. I'm finally there in my, in my late thirties. And so some of the bands that I listened to were instrumental and avant-garde or, more atmospheric, I, I would, I guess you could say, like bands like Balmeray, the American Dollar. I'm incredibly into Max Richter. Anything he does, whether it's a movie soundtrack or it's recomposing Vivaldi's Four Seasons, I should say, Oliver Arnolds, oh. who is the composer of the of a lot of amazing soundtracks. He did the Broadchurch soundtrack. He's very innovative. Uh, he's got a, a a really good NPR Tiny Desk concert where he he's actually programmed multiple pianos together to play intervals and to play different arpeggios together, but to do it with these analog pianos, <laughs> with wow. these actual pianos, and uh, it just it just sounds amazing. What were we gonna say? I need to check that out because I, I yeah I've listened to Olafar for for several years now. Yeah, Man. yeah, that Tiny Desk concert's amazing. And it, I think it's only just a couple years old. Okay. And, you know, Tom also got me really into Radiohead during those late 20s. And Radiohead yeah. has, I'm still uncovering their catalog after all these years. And and they're, you know, I was telling my wife the other night and she she doesn't really listen to them, but she appreciates that I appreciate them. And I said to her, I think Radiohead is the perfect band yeah, I think they're the perfect band. <laughs> Why like, is that? Just because they kind of tick all the boxes. They have, like, Tom York has that kind of out of left field, not not typical vocal style. Yeah, He's irreverent, but he's also, you know, he also has a beautiful voice. 
at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's so emotional the way that he sings. And then um, Johnny Greenwood is, I believe, my favorite guitar player. He's amazing. He is, I'm pretty sure, my favorite guitar player. And he's also a world-renowned composer and has right. composed movie yeah. soundtracks for P.T. Anderson movies. Yeah. Uh, every, basically every P.T. Anderson movie. And you can actually hear those elements when you listen to Radiohead songs through the, through the years. And they've been doing this amazing thing on their YouTube channel where through this whole pandemic, they've been releasing, I think, once a week or every couple weeks, a live show on YouTube. And they'll release like a two-hour live show. I had no idea from, they were doing this. Yeah, and they're they're from all over their cat all over their years. So you'll you'll hear oh one from gosh. like the night the early nineties. You'll hear one from a, a recent album. Yeah, incredible. Oh, yeah. So I definitely like lose some hours there. And uh, yeah, I, and I just think you know they're the perfect band. And the first album because I came late to that party as well. First album I heard from Radiohead was the one they gave away for free um, in Rainbows. Yeah, that's my favorite. Which was, I think, 2006. Yeah, and that it's it's still, I think it's still my favorite. You know, All I Need is such oh. a just perfect song. It's a perfect song. It takes you right to the, like, edge of wanting more of this song. But then, you know, you're still glad it ends where it does. Videotape is great. Yes, videotape. Oh, and, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Weird Fish, Arpeggy. <laughs> yeah. Is great. Yeah. It's, Body Snatchers. Oh, my gosh. Right, it. There's, it's just amazing songs all the way down. And it's like the perfect sweet spot of Radiohead being who they are and, and, and playing to their strengths and, and really making use of their compositional strength because they, they can compose a song. Oh, yeah. And, and there's so much. So there's polyrhythm in a lot of their music. There's um, rhythms that you don't hear in a lot of other kinds of music and then just they're they're virtuosos in the way that they can perform and actually execute a song but then their songs are not just mathematical concoctions of what mu- what good music should be their songs are true their songs are emotional and have powerful challenging lyrics and you know yeah. even if you go back to the you know their earlier more alternative mainstream catalog you go to creep or high and dry they're just perfect songs yeah perfect songs. high and dry is it is the 90s that song fake plastic trees it, it mm-hmm. just oh my goodness that like that's an emotional song right but i was gonna ask if you've seen them live i haven't i haven't seen radiohead live i do hope oh, if there's man. a band that i want to see and i'm not a big go to shows kind of person like i've gone to just a few but uh if there's a band that i get to see that's their one and i'm always worried that that bands are going to break up and then i won't get to see them yeah and then you know i think one of the first radiohead songs i heard was when i was in junior high and i heard uh paranoid android and it was just like what is this right yeah what even is this song but i still like to this day have the whole thing memorized and (laughs) Every beat, every rhythm, every meadly meadly sound of the guitar. So yeah, definitely Radiohead. And then a lot of the other bands, like some of the other bands I listen to, they're like I said, I still go for the national. Um, I'm also into some really good pop music lately. Maggie Rogers has been uh, an amazing female vocalist totally. sound, which I'm trying to listen to more female vocalists and female driven bands. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I, I've been going, going through catalogs and discovering bands. Like I was, I was just listening to Slater Kinney last week yeah, uh, or a couple weeks ago and just an incredible catalog. And I'm like, I missed this when it was new, <laughs> but I'm going <laughs> to just enjoy it now. This is, this is one of the bands. It's like one of the foundational bands of alternative rock that yeah. I completely missed, but I'm not going to miss them anymore. Yeah, I mean, and Maggie Rogers isn't really that kind of sound, but I'm just, there's so much pop music right now that is, I don't want to knock it too much, but I feel like it, so much of it comes from the same place, it feels like, or it's uh, it's so heavily produced. Yeah. Or it's heavily focus grouped or something like that, that yeah. you just kind of know what it's going to be. I think that's what's refreshing about Taylor Swift is that she's a songwriter that writes her own music and performs her own music. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a rarity. You know, Sia doesn't write her music. Um, speaking of Sia, Sia is an incredible artist and I love, I love her voice and, and her style as well. Um, I've also been listening to churches quite a bit. Yeah. Churches is, incredible band and they kind of they kind of bring back that 80s sound and that electronic sound right uh and the vocals are just on point i've also enjoyed some electronic music that i missed during those years as well and that i maybe all of us missed because you know daft punk has been around for so long and Mm -hmm. i am still always discovering them and they're just so danceable just so powerful their their music and uh, I just have to move. And another band that is one of my just top bands, but they're kind of under the under the radar still is Air, which is a, fr- a French duo. They did the uh, soundtrack for the Virgin Suicides movie. Okay. I thought um, you were going to say Air Supply, and then I was going to cut you off and kick you off. <laughs> no, uh, Air, A-I-R. Okay, okay. Yeah, they're a French band. Uh, one of my favorite songs, one of the, like, sometimes I hear a song, and I do this a lot with Radiohead, but I, sometimes I hear a song and I just say, this might be the perfect song, this one. And one of theirs, Alone in Kyoto. Okay. From their Talkie Walkie album is awesome. Also, they have an album called Moon Safari, which has a hilarious cover because it's just the two of them. They're, they look like G.I. Joes, and they're wearing, like, prison outfits. Yeah. And it just looks like exactly what you would expect from, like, a, an early 90s kind of album cover um, or episode of The A-Team or something like that. And so, but this song's La, uh, La Femme d'Argent, which is just a perfect kind of bass-driven, piano, poppy, instrumental song that I could leave playing on loop forever. So yeah, it's kind of what I'm listening to. I, I, I listen to a lot of music while I work, which you have to listen. I at least have to listen to different kinds of music when I'm working. I can't always listen to music with lyrics. Yeah. Churches is one of the, um, exceptions to that rule because I think the, the drivenness and the, the register of her vocals, uh, lends itself to being very productive at work. Sometimes I'll put churches on and just play them on loop. That never ending circles album is perfect for that. Yeah. I kind of go into a zone 
but then I some of this music like Daft Punk or Air, Max Richter, Balmer Ray, I will listen to this music while I'm working and it's music I can enjoy, but still be focused on what I'm doing. But then, you know, one of my things that I've been doing lately as much as I can is to get my phone or my iPad out, put my headphones on and do nothing but listen to the song that I'm listening to, which is like really hard to do. Yeah. It's it's hard to just listen to music. And this is where I I have an appreciation for the vinyl people. Like people that really love vinyl and have been into its comeback. Yeah. Is that you know, there it's getting back to enjoying music on its own, on its own merit and just sitting down and letting that be a a, a place of recreation. So I I do try to do that as much as I can, but I I don't do it enough. I think I need to start building more playlists because building like I built a playlist for this show uh, for this episode and building that playlist was like, oh, yeah, I forgot what this is like to just enjoy music again. Yeah. What is it about music that we enjoy so much? Why is it that we as humans listen to music? Mm. I think it can appeal to us on so many different levels. If you're a person that is very much into order and the rigidity of of laws and the the comfort of knowing that things will work the same way every time music can be comforting in that it's playing by the rules of mathematics it's playing by the rules of science and physics and, and I, I i have an appreciation of this from the the realm of you know playing jazz and and bending keys and modulating on uh, or or improvising on a chord progression and things like that and so i have i have a real appreciation for the structural side of music and and how mm-hmm. music is constructed and how it comes together and how rhythm is so important but how it's also a moving target you know the rhythm that the way that a, that a quartet plays rhythm is different from the way that a, a four person band plays rhythm and yet they're still playing together. And, and so I, I really appreciate the, the way that it can be a process, but then I think also music connects us with a part of our brain and a part of our self that is inaccessible um, in other ways. I think that I can get to a place emotionally where I'm able to deal with feelings where I'm able to deal with, fears or concerns or hopes uh, with the help of music, whether it's just in the background or whether I'm pulling out some of those classics that I need at that time uh, where we just can't get there with silence. We just can't get there in another way uh, without it, without its help. It's, it's an aid in that way. Also, like I think music is something we love because it's something we can share and it's something we can take part in together, which I think that's definitely something a lot of us miss right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I could say, like, I've only been to a few concerts, but they are religious experiences. <laughs> a concert is, an, is, a, is a spiritual experience, uh, even when they're not meant to be spiritual experiences. Yeah. They're just incredible. Like the last show I saw was U2 when I saw U2 in Detroit and it was, you know, had a beer spilled on us. There were people (laughs) crowding in. It was uncomfortable. 
I had to use the bathroom probably halfway into the show, but I wasn't going to move. And still, you know, when they stood up against that big giant screen and started playing where the streets have no name. Yeah. That bright red screen and the edge just starts riffing. I was like, okay, I'm going to cry now. Yeah. And it, and it's not just because I love the song and I love the band and I know the words, but it's because that chord progression, those sound, that sound, that riff, it hits me somewhere. Yeah. Well, Chris, thanks for, uh, for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thanks. I'm glad, uh, glad we could pull this off. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichty. Each person interviewed has created a playlist of the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm. Click on Soundtrack Playlist, and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at at Soundtrack Podcast, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack.